Are you ready for this? Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm Corey. I'm Logan. And we are here to go on the journey of life and leadership growth with you. Welcome to the Principles Podcast. Welcome back to Principles with Corey and Logan. Uh, We've got an awesome, awesome episode for you guys today. This is going to be really good. You're going to meet some successful men today, uh, some guys that um, just watching them is, is motivating and encouraging. They've got an inspiring story and uh, really, really looking forward to digging in. So today I want to welcome Jeremy and Daniel Butler. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Show or podcast. Be here. This is a podcast, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, guys, I, you know, we want to dive into your story. But before we do that, um, really, you know, our our podcast is called principles. Just want to kind of dig in. What are some of your core values? What are the principles you try to live out? And uh, Daniel, what about yourself? What are some of your core values? Well, man, as far as priorities, I try to keep God first, family second and career third, you know, and and try to live it in that order. Um, uh, Core values. uh, Simple man. So I keep it simple. Uh, The golden rule. We've kind of had that for years as our, as our, core values uh, in the business there at Reed's Metals. Um, we, uh, we, we come up with an acronym, uh, W-I-W-T, it stands for What I Want This. And uh, it basically applied to anything we did throughout the business, whether it was uh, coming in the front door, uh, you know, the way I'm greeting people, what I want to be greeted that way, um, the way I'm selling this thing, is that how I would want to be treated? And it, like I said, you, you bullet it down, it's basically the golden rule, but it applies to everything we did uh, and are doing now, um, you know, from delivery service to manufacturing, you know, if the product was good enough for me, it's good, good enough for the customer. But if it wasn't, you know, I shouldn't be sending that out if it's scratched and I wouldn't want that, you know, so it kind of, kind of was a universal QC as well, but it's, it's, um, that's it in a nutshell. It's just kind of, um, the golden rule. I try to live by that. Don't always uh, succeed at it, you know, but, uh, always, always try to have that, um, my day-to-day doings. I, I never want to be out and about and dodging people that I've hoodooed or tried to screw over, you know, I want to be able to, to, you know, have a clear conscience at the end of the, end of the day there. So maintain that integrity integrity is one of logan's core values there i like that i like the simple too right i mean cookies on the bottom shelf right cookies on the bottom right what'd you say i want to catch that one more time w-i-w-t yep what i want this yeah i like that man that's awesome yeah what about you jeremy what are some of your core values yeah, I, you know, you'll find talking to me and Dad, you guys, we're pretty well a carbon copy. So <laughs> we're, uh, we, what he said. We, we've been, yeah, what he said, but I might might elaborate on that a little bit. But, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, priority wise would be, like he said, you know, God and um, family and then work. But um, on the value side, the WIWT, that, that was a big part of what we did at Reeds and kind of the culture we built there on, around core values. But, um, you know, we even took that acronym and took it a little step further. And that really was our our um, quality control measure, you know, in the shop. And kind of like you said, from the front door, from people coming in the front and leaving the back, from the phone call, how they answered the phone. But we even took it and made a logo out of it and made um a, like a quality control sticker so would, that was when when they would make a product and it was ready to go out that was our qc it was w-i-w-t approved you know had a check on it on our little sticker so we really implemented that heavy in our manufacturing business and um and and that was a good way to kind of i think you, you talk about compounding efforts you know and that was one thing that we could do and i think a lot of times people talk about core values and stuff in business it's all this stuff you know on time and hard workers and all this stuff but um and it's stuff that just kind of winds up in a book somewhere or on a wall maybe in a conference room or something and nobody really ever even pays attention to it so we try to really get granular and get it ingrained in the fibers of the day-to-day operation of the business right down to uh, on our invoices you know had the stamp on it and our delivery drivers were seeing that every day and checking it off and trying to really ingrain that and create a customer um experience 
you know, to where they really um, could see that in action. We even, I think one of the logos said, ask us about WIWT and I'm um, trying to get engagement from the customers and say, Hey, what is that? And then that's when we have the opportunity to back on the, the delivery driver, the sales floor, the greeter, whoever to really um, elaborate on, you know, our core values as, as the business and kind of how we operate and personal outside of business as well. It's really just kind of souping up the, the golden rule, like Daniel said, but um yeah, it was, it was a great thing for us um, there in our previous business and trying to uh, live by it day by day. So. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I love what you said there. It's easy to say that and put it up on a wall, you know, a wall and kind of touch it on your way in and all that kind of good stuff. But I mean, living it out is next level. And, you know, and, that, and that's really what we hope to, to get across is um, not what not necessarily what you're saying, but what, what are you doing? I love that. And um you know, outside looking in, I, I didn't know you guys before, uh, I guess, probably a couple of years ago, but the Reed's Metal business had a great reputation, right? And and I, I wasn't even in that industry. Uh, you guys helped build our metal building where we were, but the reputation was there, you know, and I think that's awesome. So I, I know, uh, I, I know Logan is all in on, on some of that and has probably got some great questions on uh, some of those too. Before we jump into that a little bit, I'd love to hear your story. So right now, you guys are doing a lot in real estate. You built a successful business, sold out, moved on, not sold out, but you sold and then you moved on uh, to other things and have a great business that you're growing now. Um, but how'd you get here, man? Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way? But uh, what, what's part of your story? Jeremy, you're better telling it. Go for it. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm bad about getting going fast and just kind of skipping through it. So if I get too fast or too slow, just let me know. But um, just kind of childhood to where we're at in, in a few minutes is we, we were uh, born and raised in a small uh, little coastal town in Florida called Horseshoe Beach. And um, it's not really what you think of when you think of Florida and the Destin and, um, you know, those areas and Clearwater and all those Daytona beaches. It's a, a lot more remote and uh, kind of like, South Louisiana, the coastline there had a lot of marsh grass and creeks, but it's really small town and a lot of commercial fishing um, went on. Our dad was a commercial fisherman for years. A lot of the family was, they was in that business and um, they had fish houses and processed fish, but um, just, you know, the population was probably 200, 300 people. And it was like 20 miles to the next town where we went grocery shopping to go to Walmart was like 45 minutes away. Uh, to go to a movie or something would be an hour and a half to Gainesville. So that's kind of give you an idea how remote it was. But um, in the 90s, they banned the nets, which kind of put an end to that whole commercial fishing. Um, in Florida, they still did it in other states. But so that kind of, we were really young at the time, but that forced our family to get into other things. And we had some, some brother-in-laws at the time that started some businesses. Um, and we were... Um, you know, as a young teenager, probably 14 years old or so, Daniel may have been 15, but um, we're pretty close in age, but we would go after school and um, work for our brother-in-law building portable buildings, kind of like these um, you know, 16 by 20 buildings they put in your backyard. And um, we'd, you know, work on that and we got paid piece rate. So that, that was a great thing we learned early was um, never really like a time clock after that. So we we got paid so much to build a building, whether we build it in eight hours or, you know, 20 hours. So um, incentive was there to work hard and find ways to work efficient. And um, that was a great learning experience for us early on. We didn't really see it, I think, at the time. But um, we got a little older and, you know, able to drive, got out of school. Then we, we, we left that and started working um, kind of by accident, started putting on roofs and, and doing there on the coastline. They had a lot of canals. So um, we did boat houses, um, sea walls, stuff like that um, on the coastline. Then we started doing roofs. And um, so fast forward a little bit, a couple years later, the uh, state of Florida got pretty um, strict on working without a contractor's license. For, for the first few years, we could just have the homeowner full permits. So um, they cracked down on that and we went and got our state license uh, as a roofing state contractors in Florida. And then we did that till 2010. And um, 
primarily put on metal roofs as the contractor did the installs did a lot of the work ourselves. Uh, probably in, in 2008, we seven and eight, we, 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 we had a, a lot of crews. And with at one time, I guess we had probably about 20, 25 people working for us. And I think three crews. And um, so prior to that, we'd done a lot of work ourselves. Then we got really busy during that economy. And then like 2008, it just, the phone just quit ringing. It was weird. So we, we had to lay off a couple of crews and we went back to just putting them on ourselves. And I just really slowed down, was able to, to get through it. But um, 2010 got an opportunity to, to, uh, to move here to Mississippi and start a manufacturing company, um, manufacturing the products versus installing it. So it was a lot cooler in the summertime to be um, off the roof and working in an office. So that was a big change of pace for us. But um, met a lot, didn't know anybody in the area. Um, we have a sister that lives up in around Jackson, Tennessee, so that, you know, she was two hours away or whatever. But other than that, we didn't really have no connections with this area. But um, for some reason moved here and sold everything we had and, and uh, actually down in Barnes Crossing um, RV park down there behind, uh, I guess, Academy. Now we uh, pulled up some RV trailers and lived in there for, I don't know, maybe six months or so that didn't even have a, a business or a, a building picked out yet. We just knew we was coming up here and was going to do something. So um, we made a couple trips up and then we just said, if it's going to happen, we just got to get up there and make it happen. So we, we just uh, loaded up. At the time, had, uh, I think, one small, uh, one kid maybe each. So they was really small. So it was, it was a good time and family-wise to do something like that. But uh, those RVs got pretty small pretty quick. But um, fast forward, man, we've made just really blessed by this area. This area has been great to us. A lot of great customers and great um, team members that we've come to know over the, the past eight years, eight to ten years. And um, just have been really blessed with a good um, – you know, North Mississippi has been really good to us from employees to, you know, like the loyal team members, employees to the customer base, the contractors, the suppliers. The, I mean, the customers, it's been um, incredible. But I think our we just really focused on um, the customer service side of things. And um, that that really paid off, you know, I mean, keeping trying to keep it as simple and as, as many as the least amount of rub points for the customer. And um you know, I, I think a lot of people don't get that where they, they make it more about them than the customer and what's easy and what's in it for them. And um, did a lot of things that we most people probably wouldn't have done for the customers. And um, looking back, maybe we <laughs> some of them was a little extreme, but just we just always said yes. Had a hard time telling customer no. And um, we'd find the product, bring in inventory just for them, whatever it, it took, you know, to, to grow a customer base. And, and um, so that was... Let me, let me back up a little bit um, in the story. So that was 2010 to kind of now as an overview. But in 2014, we was growing um, good here in Tupelo, and we um, had an opportunity to start up another plant in Jackson, Tennessee. So we would kind of take turns rotating um, in the startup the first couple of years, you know, going up there. Um, I'd Let's say I'd go up there a week, and then I'd come, and then Daniel would go up there a week, and we'd rotate. And we've always been able to work real close like that and kind of know what the other one's thinking without even saying it. So it, it worked out really well. We was able to kind of rotate in and out and grow that. And, um, and that store did really well as well. And um, we was able to ship a lot of products up from this plant that we had more capacity here with welders and machinery and, and a lot of uh, capacity we had here, which we was able to run that one a lot leaner on inventory and equipment and overhead and, and even personnel because of the sport. And, you know, we'd send a truck up there every night supporting that store. So um, it really, really, uh, you know, took off. And then in 2018, we um, got an offer um, to sell and wound up selling the company and um, stayed on for about a year until, um, I guess, about actually probably about, about a week ago, a year ago, it's my last day there at Reed. So it was in February. So I've been gone a little over a year and um, now we're full-time in real estate. So really liking that. And now we buy um, distressed houses and, you know, have multiple ways we, we process those, but, um, and we also buy and hold apartment buildings is, is kind of the main things we focus on. So. Yeah. Wow, man. That's awesome. I, I know Logan's got some, 
uh, questions he wants to ask me. I, I just want to call out a couple of things from observation stuff, man. Uh, you guys, each time there was something, there was a transition. You talk about, you know, the fishing nets, there's a transition and the contractor license, there's a transition. And I love what you said. We don't really have any connections up in Mississippi, but we know something's going to happen. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> you know, that's good stuff. And then, and then one other thing I loved what you said there was, you know, making as less amount of friction as possible for customers. You know, you got to be easy to work with. And uh, I, I love that you said that because, I mean, that's key in, in any relationship, but especially when you're building a business and you're trying to add value to customers, but be easy to work with. Right. And uh, anyway, that's, that's just something I wanted to call out. So what, what you got, Logan? No, most definitely. Uh, removing hurdles definitely increases the odds that somebody makes it to the finish line. So uh, love that. Love the commitment of, hey, we're going to we're going to move up here and figure it out. Um, I think we've talked a lot about the past year or so. The people that are able to adapt the fastest are going to win in the environment that we're in right now. Um, and I would imagine that's that's why you guys have been able to do well, regardless of the of the industry. And it sounds like you learned it from an early age um, when the community kind of lost its industry and you had to go find a way to pivot. Um, one question I had was how early did you adopt the, uh, what I want this philosophy? Is that something that was taught to you? Is that something that kind of came to you? And um, at what point did you guys say, Hey, this is how we're going to do things. Uh, because it sounds like it just highly impacted and, and drove your employment process, your sales process, and uh, really everything that you do. Yeah, I'll let maybe Daniel speak on that. Somebody, I did want to clarify on the nets. I mean, that was we was really young at the time, probably. I, I mean, we wasn't working age, but my family had adapted then into something else, and then we would come in as old enough to work and and was benefited as a part of that. But we, we wasn't making like we wasn't um, fishing personally, but all of our family was uh, prior to that. But just to clarify that. But yeah. Um, and, 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 and that I, I'd kind of heard that I'm not, man, I think that that example was set at an early age, which is awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Family definitely thinks that way. Yeah. So good example set there at early age, but. Um, as far as the WIWT, maybe Daniel can remember a little more specifics on it. I was trying to remember just – it was probably yeah, – I'm, I'm having trouble remembering the exact date on it. I want to I want to think that come about through EOS. Am I correct on that, or was that pre – I think it was a little before that, um, but probably about 2014-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. I think it was just growing pains of trying to – deliver a good service and product to the customer and, and just experiencing growing pains of growing and trying to get everybody on board with just making it happen for the customer. And it, I, I really don't remember exactly if it was a, a team challenge we did or what, how we come up with that, but um, just through a process of, um, you know, trying to, you can, you can see what you want for the customer and that's just an easy, you know, they should be able to come in order easy process and then get their stuff and quick timeline and it should all be there, you know, so it seems really easy, but it's really a lot more complicated to actually do it. It's a lot of moving parts. So it's like, how do we take it and simplify it? And everybody, instead of us going out there with, you know, checkboards every day and trying to stand over their shoulder and watch their work and count all their pieces and all that form is just really turn it into something where it kind of self governs itself. Like Daniel was saying, if it's scratched, that was something we dealt with a lot. It was scratch pieces of trim. And the trim, as you know, is what um, makes a house or anything. You trim it out and that's what the finishing touches. So there's always a question of, do we throw it away or do we keep it? So, you know, we just kind of turn it back on and the person working there and say, if, you, if you've been saving and, and, and I saved up three, $4,000 over the past two or three years to re-roof your house and, we, and you bought it you know, paid cash for it and they brought it out and it had this scratch on it. Would you be okay with it? Or would you say, no, I want another one. And if you're okay with it and more than likely the customer's okay with it, if you're not, they're not going to be more than likely pretty close in there. So um, that was kind of, I think just through a lot of the, just trying to get that instilled as a culture was just to, on the quality control and the customer service side of things. And, you know, the same thing is like even 
un, unloading the material in someone's yard. I mean, if you just paid three or $4,000, would you want it all stacked up nice and neat or just in a big pile, you know? So um, I think it just come from a lot of kind of come on man conversations with, with uh, team members of like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this complicated, just use common sense of what you want. And most of the time that's what the customer wants. They're, they're just like us. So. Yeah. I, I love it. It's just, it's as simple as kind of the Chick-fil-A, my pleasure culture. And it's really easy. Like you said, it starts to self-govern itself. Um, the hard part is figuring out what's the right mantra for my business. That's going to permeate the culture and self-govern. And so I, that's why I was kind of curious about how you, how you arrived at that. Um, so there are a couple of a couple of questions along the business timeline that are that are pretty interesting. One, you started it, um, bootstrapped, grew, and then had an opportunity to to open a second location. A lot of our listeners are small business owners and have trouble scaling and going from okay, owner operator or self employed to business owner, and I have a system that works for me. That's somewhere else. How did you guys make that transition from one location to another location out of state? Yeah, you want to answer that, Daniel? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. I mean, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication for sure. Like Jeremy said, there was a, you know, we traveled up there every day. We opened the store and closed the store for probably over two years before we had, um, managers in place that we felt comfortable enough to to take that over but um systems you know we had a we had a um a solid uh coo at the time or um a cfo i'm sorry and uh, he helped us a lot with with uh the financial side of he would come you know up there uh pretty regular with us but um you know, one thing that we didn't have day one up there, but later on really was a benefit to kind of bring them even closer together was EOS, the entrepreneur uh, system. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that or not, but um, it's uh, it really helped us towards the end there. We were on it a couple of years before we had the acquisition. Um, and uh, it really tied up a lot of the loose ends that we had worked on for years and, and really got us a lot more structured. And we were actually in our stride in um, 2018, whenever we did sell out. And uh, it, a lot of that was due to uh, that system, so. Um, yeah, I would give a lot of credit to that. But, and, and like you said, the financial side, because knowing your numbers is huge and uh, accurate and timely reviewing of your numbers. I mean, you got numbers don't lie. There's no emotion to them. They, um, they don't care what you think about them. So it's, um, had a, a good CFO that really um, would do the numbers and helped us a lot on the county side, learned a lot on that side mm -hmm. uh, in manufacturing because there's a lot of inventory control and the payroll side. And it just it's just a lot around numbers. So I would say that would be a big one is really knowing your numbers to get to the next level is, um, and it, that, that don't mean looking at them every quarter. I mean, that's, I remember a lot of times daily looking at them, you know, and there's, there's some things there's lags in them where everything's not accurate, but I mean, we really tracked sales really heavy. We had some good um, spreadsheets we made where we could see pipeline sales. We could see today's sales. We could see month to date sales and we could see year to date sales. And then we had buy sales rep and we had budget. And what we, um, we would sit down at the beginning of the year with them and, and get projections based on their past and what's in both agree on it. What, and then we had seasonalities. So, you know, this time of year, they, you ain't shipping a lot of stuff because it's raining and snow and ice. So um, we would, so if it was a million dollars a year, we would take it and it, it wasn't just a million divided by 12 was your monthly number. It would be, it would be um, based on seasonality. So we'd look at historic reports and say, you know, 80% of our sales are in the spring and fall or whatever it was. And then again, a good, uh, a, uh, numbers guy can help you with this a lot, but then on this report, we could see, you know, and really help hold them accountable on our sales. That's, I mean, that's number one is sales. If you ain't got sales, you ain't got a business. So, um, that would be the number one. If you didn't look at nothing else would be sales, but, um, really having a good way to see that, not just total sales, but 
individual granular day to day. And we'd send it out every day to the whole company and every, um, every department, every salesman seen it. And we would conditional format it where if, so if, if their goal was um, 50,000 for the month and here we are three quarters of the way through the month. So they should be at three quarters of 50 would be whatever that is. Let's say 40, it ain't 40,000, but 40,000, they should be at 40,000 three quarters of the way through the month. So if they were, they'd be in the green, their number would be green. If they wasn't, they'd be in the yellow if it was 70 within 80 or 75 or 80% of that. And then if they were below that, it'd be red. So right away, it's tons of accountability on the sales department to get the sales in the door. And we could identify right away who was doing good, who, who wasn't, to see who to try to, you know, what you're doing that's working and what are you doing that's not working. And um, just really know on a day-to-day basis, not just get to the end of the month and hoping that we had a good sales month. So I think that was one system that, that really helped us. And then that was an easy thing once we had the second store, just plugging that and duplicating it for that store. And then we even got where we would, you know, share uh, between the two stores and try to do a lot of the same type stuff in our company there, trying to keep a team because they had, you know, had to work together a lot to supply uh, the other branch. So it's important that everybody kind of stay in the loop. But um, then, the, you know, on uh, outside of the numbers, though, would be um, like Daniel was saying, we, we got on EOS. If you're not familiar with that, you read the book Traction by Gino Wickman or How to Be a Great Boss. Um, we got to a point probably in 2015 or, or maybe 16 where we'd set a goal for like $4 million in sales in, in during our peak month. And I think it was um, in May. So uh, April, May, and then September was normally our best three months, maybe October. Um, but we'd set this goal and everything, all the efforts went into the sales, you know, sales, 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 we got to get this goal. And, um, we got it, but at the end of it, man, at the end of May, I mean, everybody was just wore out. We lost a couple great employees as a result of it, learned a lot of valuable lessons. I mean, you can't push people, but so far, I mean, a, a goal is nice, but I mean, if you lose some good quality people, I mean, is it, is it worth it? So you got to kind of compromise there. And so we, we went through that month and we was like, kind of like, hey, yeah, we got our sales. That's great. We was excited, but we was like, it really stressed the business and, and showed us like thing after thing where our weak points were. And um, then it was the summer starts, it was slowing down. And then that was like, we got to find answers to these questions if, if we're going to get to the next level. So I remember we went, um, in like the first of July. So that was May. Then June, we had a lot of meetings trying to figure out how to strengthen the company in every department, basically outside of sales, sales were doing good, but we was going up to see the um, arc up there in uh, wherever it is in Kentucky or wherever um, that they built. And on the way up, I, um, I Googled some books about being a better boss and stuff like that. We've really seen the need for, you know, the turnover we were having, there was, it was more, it was a, a leadership problem and a, and a underlying issue. Um, it's easy to blame people leaving, you know, their faults and failures, but the next one's going to have similar faults and failures. So you got to keep looking in the mirrors. Why is these people leaving? They're great people. You know, <laughs> obviously we're failing them. So Googling books and wanting to come up with how to be a great boss. So bought the audio book on the way up there and listened to it. And um, I think I listened to it twice maybe three times on that trip coming and going send it to daniel's light and send it to our one of our shop um foreman or or, our plant manager at the time it's like y'all got to listen to this this is the answer to all of our problems that we've just figured out we had and um so they all listened to it and probably by september we had hired an implementer and uh so with the program they they come out if you want them to they'll you know pay a guy to come out as a third party and facilitate your meetings and highly recommend that if you're able to do, to pay for that um we've got a lot better results that way it was held accountable but within a year we had implemented that system fully in our company and basically probably the main re- way i would explain it would be um you know they have an illustration in the book that's a circle and arrows so you got arrows just point every different direction and that's kind of what your organization is without some type of system that you run on and what EOS does, then they show 
another example of a circle with all the arrows like a string. They're all flowing in the same direction. And it really brings clarity on back to what we started out with, our core values, our core focus, our goals, our 10-year, our three-year, our one-year, right down to quarterly, to monthly, to weekly. And so, you know, you reverse engineer all that and how you hire, fire people, how you hold them accountable. It's just a total system you run on that was, um, that just made a huge, huge, huge difference in our culture, in our morale, and more importantly, our bottom line. And we still hit, um, you know, continue to grow and grow our bottom line with that. So that would be, if, if you if you want to look at business at the next level, I would highly recommend, like Daniel said, EOS looking into that. And there's a lot of answers um, in that book. Awesome. Those books. That um, that leads me into kind of the next thing I wanted to, to, to get at, but also don't want to skim over the fact that um, kind of that paradigm shift was, it sounds like you guys taking responsibility for, hey, this is this is a leadership problem, and not we have a turnover problem. And you know, if if you didn't take responsibility for that up front, you don't go looking for a book that brings you a system that brings you the results. Um, so I think it's it's easy for us to get caught up in the day to day and think I just got to go get somebody else and plug them in and keep going and and not solve the solve the root problem. Um, yeah. And, and so that's, it's a good nugget to pull out. Um, so fast forward to 2018, a um, couple of things. One with, with, I guess, small business. And, and a lot of times we run into an issue where our business is more valuable to us than it is to somebody else. Um, especially for, for those that have, uh, that have grown organically or haven't used debt to grow. Uh, because when they go to sell, uh, you're introducing new debt. Um, how did you guys build something that was more valuable to somebody else and decide that the timing or timing was right to sell the business? Um, you want to speak to that, Daniel? No, go ahead. But I think maybe you ought to just give a little more clarity on, on the type, you know, it wasn't a franchise, yeah. but it was, you know, we had a partner as well. And kind of yeah. bringing that a little bit. Yeah. So we, uh, Reed's Metals, you know, that's, that's, um, that was a company we, we built here locally, but Reed's Metals had been, um, already in business for, with a partner that we partnered with, uh, Bernie Reed out of South Mississippi for probably about 10 years. Okay. And, um, so, he had contacted about wanting to grow. And so when we come up, we partnered with him and we got um, equity instead of just, you know, we, we just become equity business partners and um, didn't know what really what we could do with it, but no, he was wanting to to put some more stores out there. And then um, we was looking to get out of, out of what we were doing there uh, with roofing. So um, great, great decision to do that. And um, so we had, um, it wasn't a franchise, but it was, it was just an equity deal, I guess you would say. Um, we didn't, it wasn't like buying a franchise, but um, so he gave a lot of, um, you know, we, we ran the day to day and, and he was very hands off on what we did. We just, we, we, we would talk a lot on things that was working there and we would, you know, talk some back um, what we were seeing. But in the meantime, he was, he'd done the same thing with some other people in other States. So they, um, they were building some businesses as well. So I think when we sold, there was six maybe locations. We had two that we owned and then maybe four more, maybe seven, but um, in different states. So I think being a part of something bigger um, as far as under the umbrella of Reed's Metals um, really helped um, as far as something that was viable to someone else that, you know, and, and, and we were just growing a lot as the whole company. Um, and I think it caught the attention on the sales side and the growth of a competitor that was in, in the space. And they just kept sending um, offers or not offers, but letters um, kind of beating the door down, wanting to buy. So it wasn't really something we was looking to do. It just kind of just kind of happened. So it was an opportunity that just presented itself. And it wasn't it really wasn't the best time to do it in some ways, because a lot of people prepare for that. They get, you know, a broker and they get advisors and they cut certain expenses out and a cleaner 
books a certain way, you know, because it's a multiplier. Um, the type mm-hmm. of sale we had was a multiplier on EBITDA or net, net ordinary income. So a lot of things, if we would have been looking to take it to the market that we would have done different instead of, you know, mm-hmm. it, it costs money to grow. So we were in heavy growth mode. So um, our two stores from in eight years, it went from zero to um, about 65 full-time employees. We never laid anybody off during that time for not having work. Now, wintertime, we would maybe go down to 40 hours, 36 hours a couple of times, but we never had layoffs from, from not growing. And um, we grew double digits normally, you know, so so 65 full-time in, um, team members. And then we were doing a little over 30 million in sales combined with our two stores, um, not including other REITs. So that kind of gives you an idea how much sales growth we had. And um, I think that caught the attention of somebody, you know. So I think, again, uh, sales, you know, a lot of people say um, sales is everything and it, it, it's probably 95 percent of them. I mean, if we wasn't growing, we wouldn't have got that opportunity. But we've we've always been the type two. We don't want to just sell and not fulfill. Fulfillment's a big part of it. So that that was something we always it was always a struggle as you grow was trying to juggle fulfillment and order accuracy and, and the growth to keep the service level up because you sell something you sell a building on the um six i'm gonna get it to you in six weeks and make the sale up front but if it ain't there in six weeks you don't keep selling them to new people because that that reputation gets out really quick so it was always a kind of a juggling of all right let's step on sales and then we got to go work in the shop and <laughs> you know clean that up and you get that up to the level and it's just kind of a stair step it always seemed like uh, a, kind of a rub there but um, maybe that answered your question. Yeah, that that's uh, that's super super helpful, Corey. I know you're you're itching to <laughs> dig, dig into some stuff and get to what they're what they're doing now. Yeah, well, I I, I also wanted to say one other thing. You know, you had kind of question about um, you know a lot of the businesses. I think Logan, especially Logan and Chris, you guys are expanding your business and uh, looking to buy businesses, but also working with businesses. A lot of small business owners don't know their business. They, they don't understand where they're at. And you touched on that. That was one of the things that was important to you guys. You had your scoreboard, right? And you were intentional about, about knowing your business, but also intentional about knowing, knowing where your numbers were. And um, I, I, I see that as a big issue for a lot of small businesses. Uh, they want to grow, they want to do things, but they they stay more in defensive mode or responding in reactive mode instead of playing offense. And playing offense and kind of small business is knowing your numbers, knowing where you're at, knowing where you stand, and knowing where you need to grow and those kind of things. And um, I just wanted to call attention to that too. And I, I, I'm kind of curious, what are you guys excited about right now? Uh, you have some different things going on now, but what, 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 what are you excited about now? Well, man, we're, we're, uh, you know, we kind of have two different things going on. we got the multifamily, uh, thing we're doing, and then we're doing the single family. We're actually partnered up with Sean. Uh, you know him well, you guys have worked together in the past. So that was a great decision and a, and a great move for us to partner up with him about nine months ago or so. Um, that's coming along really well. We're flipping flipping uh, several many houses. I've uh, got about, I don't know, 10 or 12 going at any given time, you know, in various stages. Um, and then on the multifamily, um, we've got several things under contract right now. We're in, um, we're in a 32 unit in Sotilla that we have underway, uh, full rehab. We'll get into every unit there and, and and rehab it, bring it up, and uh, make it uh, make it really nice on the inside. All new finishes, all new wearables, uh, granite countertops. They'll be brand new on the in- inside. The outside, we're going to do some work as well. Um, so, just really excited about what we're doing. Um, it's uh, it's brand new, like Jeremy said. This you know, a little over a year uh, that we've been doing this, so we're still learning a lot in this industry. You know, we've we've done some. Um, you know, we've always been in the construction, but it's mainly been roofing and siding, that sort of thing. So the interior stuff is kind of a little learning curve for us there, but um, catching on and just just loving it, man. It's, it's going great. Um, of course, we're always looking for deals, always needing more deals. So. Yeah. 
a hungry you know, beast. Deal, deals of money. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, hearing your story, man, I, I can't help but think about this proverb because um, I love the book of Proverbs. But, but I mean, you guys just figure it out, right? That Like there's no... A lot of people that I talk to, they, they seem to have some excuses or, well, now's not the right time or I don't have any money. Well, you, <laughs> I mean, you guys moved up to Mississippi and lived in RV for uh, RV park for a little bit and you made it happen. And, and the proverb that keeps coming to my mind here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up real quick, but it's, the, it's like the slugger, the slugger says there's a line in the road. There's a fierce line in the road, right? And it's basically talking about <laughs> just excuses for not going to work or not, not, figuring things out and um i mean i just see you guys like no excuses this is what we want to do we're going to figure it out and i just wanted to kind of set that up to if you if there's somebody out there listening maybe they've got an idea maybe they've got a desire for some kind of business but they're on the fence any words of encouragement for them from you guys uh from being in some startups yeah well man you know jeremy uh, posted a quote the other day about knowledge. What was that quote, Jeremy? Oh, I uh, said knowledge is not power. Knowledge is um, potential power. Action is, is power. I think it's something along those lines. But just knowing it is not what what, uh, what gives the results. Yeah, um, it just got to start some action, man. And not and, and and you can't be paralyzed by failure. Sometimes, you know, you got to get some action going, and you may have to pivot. You may have to. You know, uh, illustration, our partner used to bring up a lot. He said, I, when I get in my plane, he had a small little uh, four-seater plane, and he would fly up here some. He said, if I leave Brookhaven and I, flyed, uh, I filed a uh, flight plan, you know, it's direct. It's straight to Tupelo. But if I get over Jackson and a thunderstorm pops up, I, I'm going to go around it. You know, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to go around. My, my, my plans have changed. But... Either way, I made it to Tupelo. So sometimes that's what it's like in business. You you start out, and uh, we talk about that a lot with Sean. You know, we there were a lot of answers that, or a lot of questions we didn't have answers to in uh, July of last year. But we um, knew that if we could just get some action going, you know, get some momentum, that we'd have to come back to the table and work some of that out. But um, you know, if, if everyone's willing to pivot and do what's got to be done as we're going, as we're growing, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how we see it, you know, being, being open to change. That was part of our core value as well. You know, we got, we're always changing, you know? Yeah. I think too, like the analogy of, um, you're saying about the straight line versus reality is something's going to come up and you're going to have to go around it too. It's another flying analogy would be, you know, it's just, getting getting like we look i look at business kind of like a plane you know that it, you just you got to get it off the runway there's a lot of a lot of work that goes and and um there's there's even some stuff about the amount of fuel that a plane burns on a two-hour flight you know like 70 percent of it's on takeoff just getting it off the ground getting it to altitude but when you when, when you're on the ground i mean you may be pointed in the opposite opposite direction of where the direction for the winds that's blowing right then to take off on the active runway, but just get it up off the off the ground and in the air and then turn on course. And then you're going to have to true up again because the winds are going to change direction. Just keep bringing it back. You know, that's what autopilot does, but you're not on autopilot. You're taking off and you got to turn this way and get on course and then correct your instrument again and keep truing in on where you want to go. But um, a lot of people, I think they just, they don't take that action to really get it off the ground and get it going. And then they want to just already be in the air at cruising altitude and just kind of fine tune a little bit here and there. Um, and I think the other thing too, is they spend a lot of time on stuff that don't really matter. You know, I mean, with a back to sales, I mean, without they look non-revenue generating activities. I mean, and there's some of those that if you're a one person startup, you have to do, but I think you've got to be conscious that you're doing them and just as soon as you can get someone else to do them because with you know tweaking your logo and your business cards and all that stuff you know it's not going to bring in any sales dollars people don't care about that stuff you know go out and provide value take action get some deals in the pipeline whatever it is and um and start making it happen then the other stuff will start being more important and, and you can outsource it or whatever when there's a need for it but i think a lot of people they you know spend a lot of time on stuff that really don't matter 
and they um they just takes up a lot of their day and at the end of the day it, it, it don't, don't matter a bit they spend all day doing it um so that and and then the other thing i would think would be you know really look at what your the business you're starting and is there is it just a high paid job or is there a way to um you know build a team has that come has that type of company ever sold if that's what you're looking for is to build something and sell it you know has um you can you can google stuff like that and see if this type of business has ever even sold um is it a sellable business no going in what you're looking at and what you're building and um and really you know get that um compound effect on your time and your efforts where you're building something you can sell one day and not just trading time for dollars so that would be a few things I would recommend. And then one more would be, you know, find somebody that's doing what you're doing and get around them. I mean, and you may have to pay to be around. Them. That's one thing we've done a lot in real estate. It was, Daniel said we're new to it. But um, I think one thing that we've done right in it so far and was it saved us a, a lot of mistakes, um, even some this week that we uh, property was looking at. What, but uh, that is, you know, there's a lot of fake gurus out there, but find someone, there's a lot of them that ain't fake. There's a lot of people that's doing what you want to do at a high level. And a lot of them are lonely. There, I mean, you, you, success is like, it's, it's, uh, it's lonelier at the top. <laughs> a lot of people say that. So what we found is people that are doing what you want to do, a lot of them are happy to, to tell you what they're doing because they don't ever get asked that. They're in shallow conversations about the ball game or whatever, mm-hmm. and they never get asked like, "Hey, how, you know, if it's investing or whatever." Really asking, and you know, want to learn that. And um, so, what we found when we do that to older people, they really open up and have great conversations, learn a lot from them. So that's free. Um, other thing is pay to be around people. You know, pay to be education, educate yourself, online courses mentorship programs mastermind stuff like that we're we're big believers in that and it just really shortens that length of time that you have you know if you could take 10-year results and condense them down to five years is that not worth some money so that that would be the other thing is it's get around real people not fake gurus but real people that's doing what you want to do Oh man, you preaching now. Come on, Jeremy, you preaching now. You know, I, I, I honestly have never, never lost money paying for a course or a seminar or thousands of dollars for, for coaching and all that from somebody legitimate, like you're saying. I've never lost yeah. money. That. The, the return is, I mean, I can't even put a number on the return. And, yeah. kinda, you know, one of the things that you mentioned early on, realizing like on that trip, buying the book and developing yourself that that was something i i had to find out early on too is that i was the lid on my business right my business was not going to suppress my ability to lead it my team wouldn't either i the business owner had to grow and if i didn't i couldn't expect the business to grow either so um yeah, yeah man and I, 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 I tell you another thing too today with the information age and the internet i mean when when we were roofing we didn't even have iphones you know i remember well into a roofing career you know with an iphone come out but anymore man there's no excuse for not knowing i mean it and i, I remember all the like looking back if i was in a, a teenager again now i would audio books youtube all this free information i just soaked it up instead we listened to the radio for two hours driving to work this stupid crap on there you know could have been filling our minds but um i guess there would have probably been tapes back then you could listen to and cds but never really was exposed to that the people we were around that's again why getting around the right people is important but um see what they're doing but um yeah there's a lot a lot of wasted time that we we could have even you know multiplied our our results a lot more by educating ourselves and there's a lot of it that's free out there and um no excuse not to know nothing anymore so well, I, I've got one other question, and I know Logan's got some a good one to wrap up with, or uh, I know we're getting up on your time there. Um, you know, I've noticed all successful people really have some daily habits, or they have some habits that they try to try to adhere to. What about you guys? Are there any habits that you really tried to implement or try to be consistent with that's helped you in your personal growth and in your professional growth? Is it the book? Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> go I'll go on that, or I, I can go first or second on that. I'll let Daniel decide. Go, go ahead, Jim. 
Man, for me, I think it's a, I, I really try to have a morning routine. It's something that's like it's been in my mind, you know, for years now to I even write it down, get up early, you know, 4.35 o'clock. I don't always do it. So I don't know why, but sometimes I'll, I'll hit a streak and do it good for three or four months. And then, you know, it's some reason you fall out of that. But, uh, but that to me, you know, um, if I can stick to it, it would be, a, you know, getting up at a certain time. Um, I, I'm the most productive when I do that. But outside of that, um, not just a time you get up. I still like uh, one thing I found last year after leaving Reeds and having like a more time on my hands than ever to try to, you know, re-identify yourself in a different industry and, and, and that. So I found 75 hard and that was something that um, I did last year and changed my life as far as really helping with mental toughness. It's um, not so much a, it, it is a physical challenge. You get physical results, but you um, you really get a lot of mental toughness out of it. And really, it's it's about the commitments you make to yourself, sticking through to them, the even the little ones. You know, um, one of the things you have to do every day is take a picture. That's simple to do, but it's also simple to forget. So um, I think that's that's one that um, back on it now. And I know Daniel's doing it um, this year. He's getting close to being done. So seventy-five hard's a big one if you haven't done that. Um, another thing I do is I have, um, a weekly, like a sheet. I just lay in there where I get dressed in the morning and it's just, um, about 10 things that I want to do. One of them is getting up at four 30 back to that, but uh, it's on there. And the goal is seven, you know, so you got Monday through Sunday and the goal is seven. Um, and well, for that one, it is next one is maybe, um, spending an hour with my kids every day. And let's say that may be six out of seven days. That's realistic. I could do that. So my, my goal on that is six. Um, when on down to, you know, so this is um, work, it's relationships, um, faith-based stuff, read my Bible, praying every day, that's seven. So just let's say 10 things in different, the different areas of the will of life, you know, and um, some of them may only have the scorecard be, or the, the goal be two. But I just go through every day and I put a one or a zero. And then at the end of the week, uh, tally it up and against the score. And that's just a way it's a personal scorecard that kind of, again, it's like the flying analogy just kind of keep bringing me back on track um, when you get off track. And um, I don't hit it perfect every week. A lot of times I mess up a lot on it, but I'm conscious of it. And I know where I need improvement and I know what I need to do on a daily basis if I do that. So that's another big one. And then, just I love learning like audiobooks, stuff like that. If I'm gonna be driving or on a, going on vacation, I'm gonna be listening to something if I'm just, you know, killing time. So a lot of um audiobooks. Yeah. You know, I I, I do kind of that same thing, that weekly type thing. And I don't know how I don't know how you know if you're on track or off track if you don't have something like that implemented. It doesn't have to be exactly like that, but I don't know how you you, you don't know. So um, yeah. Daniel, what about you? What are some habits? And I'd like to hear some of Logan's too, if you had any. Well, man, I, that's an area I do struggle with. Just to be honest with you, I don't, you know, I'm not as structured as I like to be. Um, I'd like to get up early as well. Like Jeremy said, sometimes I do good at it. Sometimes I don't. Um, but I, I try to exercise regularly and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I have been doing the 75 hard. I'm, I'm on day 56, I believe, today. So I'm liking it. It's, it's been a good a good thing for me. It's definitely been a good thing for me. Um, it's been tough. You know, like you said, it is mental toughness for sure. So um, I'm hoping to finish that. I'm, I'm planning on it. I just hope I don't screw up, you know, come close to – to missing something small like he mentioned there the photo or whatever but um that's been really good and then outside of that you know just uh man just trying to make time for god you know um not always the best of that either but i got that in my i try to keep that in my routine you know logan logan what about you what are your habits and then uh wrap us up with your your question right there yeah, mine, I definitely am the best version of myself when I get up around 5 or 5.30. And I just feel like if I'm not doing that, I'm not playing offense. Um, if, if I get up much later than that, I'm, I'm already getting emails. I'm starting to get phone calls and text messages. And, and now, I'm, now I'm reacting uh, in, instead of being ahead of the curve. Um, 
getting a good first meal in for the day is important for me. Um, I, this will sound a little bit weird and specific, but like if I eat three eggs and an avocado in the morning, like I feel superhuman. So like if I can, if I can get that done, I just know that my body's going to feel good all day. Um, and then getting some physical activity um, and always drink a gallon of water. That's another one. I drink, I drink 32 ounces of water before I put anything else in my body. Um, so I, those are just kind of a, a few of the things. Um, I want to read at least five pages of a book every day. I know it sounds like a small number, but man, some days it's hard to find time to read five pages. But um, I know if I can do that, I can get through a few books. Um, some core that you and I have talked about is uh, – I always want to be learning and putting knowledge in. And I feel like that we kind of talked about the information age and how accessible everything is. I think like this is kind of a year where I'm trying to slow down on the inputs and focus a little bit more on some of the implementation and the application from some of that stuff. I read and listened to so many books and podcasts last year, but I didn't do an awesome job of execution on all the things that I learned. So this year I may try to do a little bit less, but get a little bit more of that stuff implemented. Um, so anyway, a couple of things to note is, um, man, what gets measured gets improved. And it, I think that sums up a lot of what you guys did from, uh, you know, whether it be sales, controlling costs, uh, quality control, all the way down to your personal lives. Um, and, and, that's awesome. Sounds like you're, you're measuring a lot of stuff and, and that's why things can, you guys are really good at building momentum uh, with things. And it sounds like that's rooted in, like you said, go, go take action. I think a lot of people don't want to put in the amount of work. Uh, you know, you said it's, it's lonely at the top. It's because the people at the top work really hard <laughs> and yeah. uh, you ask them how they, how they did something. And it's, oftentimes not very complicated it's pretty simple but they work their butt off to get there uh and it starts with taking that action and then you start to get momentum and those things compound over time um so i think that's a lot of the reason you guys have been so successful in, in what you've done and um with with reeds metals doing what it did for you in 10 years be very interested to see nine years from now uh where you are with what you're doing now um, so kind of the last question we like to wrap up with is, uh, what is one thing over the past five or so years that you knew to be true that you learned was not in fact true? Um, so for, for me, I kind of operated under the assumption that people in people that were successful or in high positions in a company had it all figured out. And then one day I was like, oh, wait, they don't have a special blueprint that everybody else doesn't have. Um, they're just good at learning and adapting and, and like you said, course correcting. Uh, so what is something that you kind of operated under the assumption was true that, um, that, that you learned to make out of them? Like a limited belief? Maybe a limiting belief yeah. that, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go after Daniel on this one. Oh, <laughs> man, I was hoping you would go first. Well, you know, I don't want to steal yours, and I don't want to sound like that, but that that is so true. I mean, I thought that so many things that, that uh, people that were, say, maybe highly educated or highly successful had everything figured out, and, and uh, you know, and I could never even come close to, to walking in their shoes, but when you do get to know these people, you find out a lot of the, the things they live by is pretty simple. And uh, so I'm piggybacking off of you, man, but you totally caught me off guard on that one. Um, but that, that is definitely something that I've, I've noticed myself um, for sure. Yeah. There, Jeremy, I gave you a couple minutes to get something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you some still time, pretty dry. Maybe you uh, can edit out some of this uh, lull here. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, probably, probably just around more like with building a team and all just that people, you know, have this kind of want the same thing you want a lot. It's, it, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some stuff around that, but I don't know if it's really a limited belief that held me back, but just maybe more like that. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I I don't have a good answer to that. I, I apologize. You caught me off guard on that. You'll have you you'll have yeah. one after you think about it for a couple of days. You'll <laughs> yeah. stuff will start coming. Yeah, out. they're like, dang, there it is. Yeah. But uh, uh, well, Corey gave us a heads up on his his uh, questions. Yeah, like, he likes to he likes to throw me in with a curveball at the end. I'll start sending that in writing ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I, I, and I guess I used to. I would, when I was a little younger and naive, I thought everybody operated with positive motives. And then I got into the working world for about two years, and I was like, wait, that's not true. A lot of people are driven by self interest. Um, that's kind of what a man around employees I was trying to articulate it's like people don't exactly they, they they're not all good motives I mean <laughs> learn a lot about people working with them it's crazy yeah well and, and not everybody's motivated by the same thing like if you're designing the incentive structure for the sales team like maybe they're more motivated by if I hit a certain number, I get more time off with my family yeah. and, and not, I get more dollars yeah. to the bottom. It line. ain't all dollars. Nope. Some of it's just straight recognition would yeah. mean yeah. way more than dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you guys read the E-Myth? I'm not. I think, I think that that was one of those paradigm shifting books for me, but um, it's about uh, kind of about building systems. Um, and it sounds, it sounds along the same lines of, um, uh, of traction, um, how to be a, did you say how to be a great boss? Is that what? Yeah, there's several books in that series, but it's all around the same EOS, uh, okay. entrepreneurial, um, operating system that they run there, but it's, uh, you know, they have rocket fuel traction, how to be a great boss. And then, um, I think that's it three three different books, but it's all around the same system. I need to check those out. That, that E-Myth and then, I mean, I'm sure y'all have done the Rich Dad, Poor Dad thing. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm about halfway through Cash Flow Quadrant right now. And then I got the, uh, the Why the Rich Are Getting Richer. Is that his, he's got a new one. Yeah. yeah I just did. I just read that one this month. That's a really good one. Is it is it good? Yeah. Is, is it a lot of repeating from other the other books? Yeah, or? it's the same message, but it, there's more. I, there were several takeaways from it okay. about debt and stuff that I never really I've thought of it that way. Started listening to a lot of his podcasts. Um, and what do you, what do you guys think? I don't know if Corey's recording anymore or not. I'm just curious from a real estate standpoint. Now, what do you guys think about? what inflation is going to do over the next few years. And, uh, and are you factoring that into any of the stuff that you're looking at and how are you kind of planning? And I don't see how it can't help, but appreciate cash flow and real estate. I mean, that's yeah. Cheap, cheap debt. It's cash flow. Yeah. That should be, should be something that paces. going to be more and more and more demand for it. I would think the yeah. value of the dollars going down. So. Um, what size multifamily stuff do you guys typically look at or do you not have a, is it all just percentage based and doesn't matter how many zeros there are? It's really about the deal, but it, and where it's at, like here we're buying anything from a four unit to a bigger, you know, and up, but um, out of town a couple hours away, we wouldn't want to do nothing real small. And, um, so it'll be worth your time. Yeah. And so I think around here, we got to, you know, build out our management uh, company and the, to manage our properties. And so we can throw a four unit in there or a 10 unit, but it's hard to get someone in Georgia to manage a 10 unit for you. So is the management infrastructure, is that more of a, um, is it more of a, uh, I guess, quality control and let's keep a finger on the pulse or is it more of a, let's eliminate a third party management fee or is it a, a profit center? all three yeah <laughs> um yeah we we've got definitely got a good person right now from managing our properties and um it, it's no one does it like you do i mean your own property so um one guy said the other day that or it was the book i was reading i think it said the management you know third party management they charge you 10 percent to, to um cost you 20 percent or something along those lines <laughs> so 10 percent, and then the, you know they mark up all their labor and all that and you lose 20% there. So really it costs you 30%, but, um, no, so now we have an in-house, you know, in-house maintenance guys, and then we do all our leasing and collections and all of that in-house. And so that's, that's going a lot better as of, um, 
December we started that. So about three months into it and feeling really well. That's awesome. I work, my day job is I work for a hotel management company. So that's, you work with Bruce and, and, um, Stafford, don't you? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Okay. I'm the CEO. You know Mr. Stafford pretty well. Um, okay. Awesome. We, 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 uh, are you going to be involved in the, in the senior living down here with any of the hospitality on it? Um, we are not self-managing that one. Um, okay. We need somebody to show us the, the blueprint on, on senior living first. Um, I'll be responsible for the hotels and that development. Okay. Out front. There you go. Yeah, I'm the I'm the COO for the hotel management company. Uh, but okay. I'm not involved in the. Multi- I remember Bruce talking about you and bragging on you when we we talked to him a couple of years ago. So. Uh, you don't have to say that. Face with a name now. He's probably cussing. <laughs> I was probably asking him for some capex. He's a mess now. The, he's a mess and a half. Yeah, we're in we're invested in that senior living in the back. So so I was wondering if you're involved. That'll in that. be that'll be a uh, that'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. I'm thinking so. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. On the, uh, on the management company side, I've looked at a few of different multifamily deals and got some, got some friends in uh, Atlanta um, that are brokers in different, uh, different areas, be it multifamily or a couple in industrial and some of the stuff they're talking about right now is absolute insanity. Um, the, one of my friends just did, she did two deals last year with a, she works for a private money company out of Canada and they're, they're buying in Atlanta and Huntsville, Savannah. Um, her two deals were 72 and 133 million last year. And the debt terms on those are 30 to 40% down seven year interest only balloons. They never touch principal. Yeah, that's a whole different world. They do a lot of interest only on those those bigger deals. I was like, that's, I uh, that sounds pretty exposed for a seven year term for for the bank. But sure, uh, I don't know. But they self manage, and you know, like you said, they can. They feel like they can. They're taking a bet on themselves to drive the value, and seven years from now, they'll either be able to refi into something else or or sell out. I guess. Well, guys, I've got to get ready to go to uh, basketball. We got our last basketball game. Uh, I was recording that, but I'll I'll clip that part out. Uh, So, Jeremy, Daniel, thank you guys for coming on. If somebody did want to reach out to you guys, maybe they have an apartment. Maybe they want to reach out to you guys about um, mentoring or coaching or if they have an apartment building or house, how do they get in touch with you guys? For me, it's probably better Facebook. my Facebook is Jubal Butler. Jubal is my first name, J-U-B-A-L, Butler, B-U-T-L-E-R. Um, I go by Daniel. But uh, just hit me up on Facebook, private message, um, and that would be the best way. Same for me. Um, Instagram, but uh, Jeremy double underscore Butler or Facebook, Jeremy Butler. So on Messenger, you know, DM, whatever. Um, that's the best way. Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys. I love the story. It's going to add a ton of value to our listeners. And for anybody listening, uh, we do hope it has added value to you. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to uh, the podcast so you can stay up to date with the new episodes. And you guys have a great day. Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. As you go about your day, remember to ask yourself, as a parent, child, sibling, business owner, customer, boss, teammate, would you recommend yourself? audit yourself, and change your life. Hey guys, and if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, take a moment, please subscribe, give us a rate and review on your listening platform. And hey, we value your feedback and it helps others find us. Are you ready for this?